0: Welcome to Awaken
1: Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Awaken. My name is Catherine Scipioni, and I oversee the prayer team here. Um, It's good to be with you. And so for today's call to worship, I have a short piece by a poet named William Stafford, He was a pacifist and he actually received literary notoriety late in life. Uh, He wasn't published first until he was 48. We love to see a late bloomer. Uh, He wrote much about nature and like simple moments. And I personally have been trying to be more awake and present in my everyday life. And so I hope this might speak to you the way it does to me. Uh, It is called You Reading This, Be Ready. Starting here, what do you want to remember? How sunlight creeps along a shining floor? What scent of old wood hovers? What softened sound from outside fills the air? Will you ever bring a better gift for the world than the breathing respect that you carry wherever you go right now? Are you waiting for time to show you some better thoughts? When you turn around, starting here, Lift this new glimpse that you have found, carry it into the evening, all that you want from this day. This interval that you spent reading or hearing this, keep it for life. What can anyone give you greater than now, starting here, right in this room, when you turn around?
0: All right, friends, if you want to find your seats, um... Danny, come on up, brother. It's sweater vest Sunday. If you didn't see Danny come in, so that's really exciting. For those of you that don't know, this is Danny Langseth. He's our uh, our the chair of our fi- our finance chair on our pastoral advisory team, and every now and again comes in a sweater vest to give you a bit of an update on the life of our church financially. So, Danny Langseth, everybody.
2: Uh, thanks for the intro. Um, yeah, so it's sweater vest Sunday. Um, everyone looks forward to sweater vest sunday we like to hear about the numbers why do we call it sweater vest sunday what conveys financial authority quite like a sweater vest right (laughs) um so this is the first time i've uh, had a chance to talk with you guys since about last christmas Um, and some things have changed a little bit in our financial pictures since then so kind of some different themes and stories to talk about this morning many of you guys were able to join last week at our congregational meeting We dove a little bit deeper into some of the stories there, so I'm going to kind of like hit the highlights of what we talked about last week. Um, Trevor, if you want to put some of the numbers uh, on the screen, so quick orientation. The left um, is last year's numbers. Green is giving, red is expenses. The middle is our initial budget picture for this fiscal year, and then the right is um, like the path that we're on right now so sort of like regrounding our 2022 fiscal year um, was meant to be sort of an investment year Um, we're all re-emerging from life in the pandemic we're returning to normal routines and rhythms and we blessed a budget picture that reflected that so we made some major investments in our staff this year we added um, additional kids community and youth ministry and tech um, a number of the expenses that make um, awaken possible that all added up, um, so from the left to the middle, to a 7% increase in expenses and a 2.5% increase in uh, giving that we were planning on for the year. That would have been a $20,000 loss on the year. Um, as of uh, the update that I shared with you guys at Christmas, we were on track to deliver that picture. Um, we saw a really, really generous month of giving in December, um, but things have changed a little bit now as we've entered 2022, um, and we've seen a little bit of a slowdown in giving. So. Where we had planned on a 2.5% increase in giving, we're now on track for about a 4% decrease in giving, uh, which would put us on track for a $50,000 loss on the year. Um, We've managed to build a pretty healthy bank account over the 10 years of Awaken's history, so we do have uh, the bank account to be able to withstand some volatility in the short term, but as an advisory team, we're sort of asking some questions and trying to make sure that we can put ourselves on a sustainable path for the future. We've been so fortunate to be able to make it through these last couple of years in the pandemic with a really healthy financial picture. Many churches have had to lay off staff or contemplate um, you know, cutting different ministry offerings. And Awaken has managed to stay strong through that entire period. Thanks to you. Yeah, that's worth celebrating. Um, And now that we uh, sort of return to life again, we're recognizing that a lot has been rearranged. There have been deaths and births in our community. People have made their way to new jobs or moved across the country. Many of the people that have been part of our community have found new church homes, and we see a lot of new faces that fill the pews too. So we think that the, the picture that you see behind me here represents that right now we're a bit of a church in transition. Um, as an advisory team, we're kicking off our 2023 fiscal planning. Um, and we've got some big questions that we're wrestling through together. Um, to give you some of the quick highlights of what we're talking about, um, there's a couple things to know about how we build a budget. First, we can count on something like a two to 4% increase in expenses every single year. We give cost of living adjustments to staff. Our lease increases a little bit every single year. Second, almost 90% of our expenses are pretty predictable um, without making any hard decisions. So um, the staff, the building, our missional offerings all add up to 90% of expenses, and the budget is built pretty quickly. We've historically set the goal of operating with a net $0 income budget, so income equals expenses. So for next fiscal year, right now we're not contemplating any big changes in our expense structure. The years of healthy financial management mean that we can sort of bless next year's budget and withstand any short-term volatility that we have. Um, We're, because of that, able to sort of live in this period of post-pandemic return to some normalcy. Um, There's a range of different budget uh, possibilities that we're contemplating, but the big question, the big uh, decision that we need to figure out is what the giving picture will look like. And in order to deliver our ideal budget picture, we're looking for about a 12% increase in giving to make that possible. Which leaves me with a pretty obvious invitation this morning, right? (laughs) Can you be part of helping to make that 12% increase in giving possible? The church that you know and love, Awaken, happens because of the generosity of you, the people that fill these pews. So you might be asking yourself, if I gave a dollar to Awaken, what would that do? What would a dollar do? The first $0.60 of every single dollar we use to take care of our staff. Um, We were so glad this year to be able to come alongside and support our staff more fully with a full pay and benefits package for all full and part-time staff, which is a pretty unique offering in church settings. The next $0.20 allows us to use this building, Um, the beauty of this place and your voices that fill it. The next 10 cents we call congregation, and that's uh, the richness of offerings that you see here. Kids community and youth groups and spiritual formation and learning labs makes all of that possible. And then the last 10 cents we use to pursue missional and justice opportunities in the world. So, for example, this year we supported every meal to make sure that every child in the Twin Cities um, knows where the next meal is going to come from. So, yeah. So, A dollar can do a lot at Awaken. Um, It can uh, employ an amazing staff, it can create a beautiful place of worship, fosters a sense of community, and it supports justice both near and far. Um, We're grateful for every single dollar that you give to us, um, and we'd invite you to be part of next year's budget picture to make that 12% increase in giving possible. Um, Yeah, behind me on the screen uh, shows you some of how you can do that. But it's as easy as just texting $1 to 84321 on your way home today to set up a new gift. Um, So thank you so much for uh, letting me come this morning and share with you guys and for all of your support of Awaken.
0: Thanks, Danny. Um, Yeah, I don't know where you came from in terms of like church and, and, and money, but that's often a really awkward conversation. At least it was when I was growing up. Um, and we try as best as we can to not make it awkward, but, you know, it's life together as a nonprofit. So uh, we want to be honest about that and give you the, the data. So um, on that note, if you're new, welcome to you. We're really glad you're here. Uh, we'd love to know that you were here. In the seat pockets in front of you or online, you can click a little button that says, I'm new. Somebody from our team will reach out and invite you to a beverage of your choice. Uh, those cards and any tithes or offerings uh, you can put in those black boxes or there are like QR codes around the building, some in the back, I think there's some in the bathroom. I thought that was a great idea. Captive audience, you know, bathroom, just QR code. That's an old, that's a throwback to a movie called Opportunity Knocks. Anybody ever see that one, Dana Carvey? One, all right, good. It's a great movie, it's a great movie. Um, Couple of announcements we wanna let you know about. Uh, Number one, there is a second half of life gathering that um, I'm actually hosting at my house. Why, because well, technically, I am in the second half of life, people. Oh, my gosh. That's uh, June the 9th, uh, 7 to 9 p.m. Um, so I think there are details online for that. And we just love to gather some folks to really um, ask, you know, where are we headed? And what, what, what do you need? What do you want um, as a group of people? It's sort of choose your own adventure with that group. So second half of life. Uh, Camp Create is happening this summer. I think last week I announced it, and some of you thought maybe that it's happening. Like, how do I sign up? That was more like, hey, we need volunteers to help make Camp Create happen, and then people can sign up. So if you have some sort of talent or skill or gift or something you can do with the kids, it's like one time during the week. uh, Mandy will set the schedule. I think it's like two or three hours or something. A craft, an art skill. Last year I taught fly fishing. Some people have done, like, Um, carpentry, any number of things. If you want to teach them how to plant, you know, you can do that. So contact Mandy for that. And then last but not least, Trevor in the back. Everybody look behind you. That's Trevor. He's our sound tech and our youth pastor. He's waving as if... uh um, he is uh, offering a sound tech training that is um, May 24th. I think that's this Tuesday. So if you're interested, we're having um, a really, really reputable company come in and do some training on our soundboard. And if that's you and you just haven't gotten involved, talk to Trevor. He would love to have you on that team. Sound good? Last but not least, some of you know um, about uh, a guy named Dick Luco, who is a friend of mine. He was the guy who suspended me the first time and then was my advocate in this last suspension. So quite a, quite a story. Um, I just wanted you all to know that my friend Dick Luco passed away this last week. Um, This is him. Um, He was an absolute giant in the covenant, and um, he battled cancer for a long time, and um, he went home to be with Jesus uh, this week, so um, very, very special guy, and um, played a role in our community, so um, just so you could have his wife's name is Val, and um, yeah, lots of people are mourning his loss, Um, so wanted to let you know about that. Um, Dick, we'll see you again someday. Uh, we are in week four of a series on the book of Philippians, so if you have your Bibles, uh, turn there. We're going to be in chapter two. Paul, the Apostle's writing from prison to a little church plant that he loves and started. He's writing to encourage them, to remind them of the mystery of Christ and the resurrection, to en- enlist them in the work of the gospel. Um, if you remember, we started, uh, Paul was... Thank them for their partnership in the gospel and offer this prayer that they would be uh, uh, filled with the love of God and able to discern what's good and true and right and fill, uh, that, that they would bear the fruit of righteousness. And then last week we talked about how Paul essentially is saying like send a message to the world. So if there are these two competing stories of, you know, um, you are the end goal and it's a zero-sum game or abundance and resurrection... Uh, send a message to the world that by your unity uh, uh, and your, your oneness of mind and spirit and your, your public uh, display of a life worthy of the gospel, you send a message that death has no place or doesn't get the last word. Um, and then this week, we're going to be talking about a passage that Paul writes that is one of the most important passages in the whole New Testament about, like, who is Jesus? Uh, the Fully God, fully man, you know, like Iron Man. Fully Tony Stark, but fully Iron Man, you know what I mean? Like, that's the best illustration I could come up with for that one. Um, it's kind of like the Trinity, you know. It's like an egg. It's hard, but it's got a yolk and a white. Tony Stark, fully God, fully, fully, uh, fully, fu- fully human, fully Iron Man. So, Philippians chapter 2, um, if you can, I'd invite you to stand and we will read this text. Um, we'll start in verse 5. Paul says this God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at that name, every uh, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Pray with me. God, this morning as we hear this poem that Paul offers about the work and the person of Jesus, I pray that you would um, meet us here, uh, encourage us. Uh, invite us to go further and to take another step in this pursuit of what it means to be human and to be um, wrapped up, bound up, experiencing a part of this resurrection life that Jesus models for us, I pray. In the strong name of Christ and by the power of the Spirit, the church said together, amen. You may be seated. So, As I mentioned, this is one of the most important passages in all of the New Testament about who is Jesus. What did he do? What was he like? Was He he was fully God, fully human. Um, Was he created? Were there divisions in his person? And it was actually uh, one of the great debates of the early church, so my, just a bit of history. Uh, in the early church, the first couple hundred years, the church is trying to wrestle with and figure out, like, what exactly happened at the resurrection, and who was this Jesus? And so there were a number of councils, gatherings of church leaders that met. Um, one of the most important ones was the Council of Nicaea. It was in 325 A.D., after Jesus' death, and um, or, and and. Uh, they penned what's known as the Nicene Creed. It was sort of reaffirmed at the Council of Constantinople about 60 years later. And it's the reason why many churches still to this day in liturgy recite the Nicene Creed. Uh, maybe you know it. It starts like this. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. Now we're getting to the Jesus part. right? And, one, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. Listen to what they're doing here. Begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. The creed goes on and continues to speak, much like the Apostles' Creed, about the work of Jesus, the life of the church, the Holy Spirit, um, and then the eventual return of Jesus in the kingdom. And this passage, Philippians two five through eleven, was a huge part of the creating of that creed. This, this statement about Jesus that has lasted almost two thousand years in church history. So it's a big deal. Um, today, what I want to do, uh, in light of uh, some of the other things we've got going, we've got communion we're celebrating. I just want to um, I want to do two things. I want to draw out one implication from the poem. I want to look at one. Um, central theme that I think is important to the poem, and then I want to entertain an idea. Um, we don't, I don't do this very often, but I actually want to uh, essentially like offer a, a spiritual formation exercise with you uh, at the end here. So let's start with an implication. Um, when I was a kid, I played hockey, and there was this guy named Don Cherry. He hosted this thing called Hockey Night in Canada with this guy named Ron McLean, and he was a total whack job, like just a nut, um, super irreverent and terribly patriarchal, and, like, I don't even think I realized how bad it was, uh, but now I do. But either way, Don Cherry, he had this uh, the, these videos. They were called Don Cherry's Rock'em Sock'em Hockey. There were, like, six of them, and my brothers and I, we had all of them on VHS, and we, we like, memorized them all. We watched them over and over and over again. There was this one part. He loved goalies, you know. Goalies are a little cuckoo. You got to be crazy to just let people shoot hard rubber discs at you all day long. But he had a lot of respect for goalies, and he would, there's this one move, like if you're playing goalie, this is your glove hand, this is your blocker hand, you know, your setup. And if somebody shoots your glove hand, there's this, whoa, you know, kind of, He'd like, kids, remember this move, remember this move. It's like the pizzazz, you know. You don't have to, like, give it all the deal, but, you know, you just got to stop the puck. But goalies, they like to, you know, add a little flair to it, you know, kind of like bartenders, Tom Cruise and cocktail, throwing things. Remember this move, he would say. Remember this move. Okay, friends, that's the point of that story. Remember this move. Remember this move. This is a Jesus move. This, like, if, if you know anything about Jesus, I think this is one of the most important things to know and moves that he makes. And it's, I would say, the path of descent. The path of descent. Paul tells the Philippians, make my, at, the, at the beginning of chapter 2, he says, make my joy complete. And you can do that by doing nothing out of selfish ambition, nothing out of vain conceit, but rather be humble and value others more than or before yourself, right? Uh, value others first, not so that so that it's not you're valuing yourself at cost to them. Do the opposite of that, and then he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same attitude or mindset of Jesus. Um, one translation says, "Let this mind be in you as it also was in Jesus, who, first being found in the nature." of being found in the very nature or image or substance of God, right? Paul says, who being in the very nature God, which is to say, Jesus, in essence, in substance, is divine. This is what the creed is working out. Paul makes clear that this person who we eventually come to know as Jesus is in essence or the same substance, homoousius in Greek, if you care to know, uh, is God. I thought about, um, I actually had a ladder over here. I was going to like you know, act this one out in my sermon today. I thought better of it. I'm, I'm kind of maybe thinking I'll do it second hour. I don't know. By the way, last week, if you were here first hour, there was some flair in second hour that you all did not get, and there was a moment that that my kids like think is one of the funniest moments in Awakens history. Um, so you might want to just watch the video of last week. Uh, I don't, Trevor. What's the time signature on that? Do you remember? Just so we don't want to waste people's time. You know what I mean? Yeah. 49 minutes into the recording, something happens and you may want to watch it. It involved that microphone and an electric guitar solo that Jesus was playing. (laughs) Oh, gosh. And then if you want some extra, if you podcast things, um, we call this drunk pastor. If you slow it down to halftime... You guys, I'm telling you what. Like get be near a bathroom cuz you may pee your pants. It is so funny. It's so I talk really fast, so at halftime I sound just totally hammered. Like just blasted. Uh, it's so drunk past with that moment and you'll have a great time. What am I saying here? Oh yeah, the ladder! I was gonna I was gonna climb on the ladder because Jesus is like found he, Jesus is in essence the same substance of God. So imagine like me climbing the ladder, and like this is the realm upon in which God lives, right? Jesus is is like on that plane, Jesus is on that level. Um, uh, it, Jesus is God, is what Paul is saying. But then being found in the same essence of God. Here's what he does. He doesn't consider equality with God or the same, you know, the sameness as God, something to be grasped or held onto or clutched or secured. Um, one translation says he thought it not robbery, right? Not something he would steal or keep, but rather, as it relates to power and position and privilege. Do you guys remember King of the Hill? In, in grade school, you know, you're, you're the big mounds of snow and the parking lots or the, the, you know, you'd, you'd climb to the top of it, and then whoever could like, and the, the, once you were there, you'd, you'd do anything, you, everything in your power to stay there. I mean, you'd, you'd maim children to stay on top of the hill. You know, push them down when they weren't looking. It was terrible. It was just cutthroat. But that's what we do. When we get to the top, that's where we want to stay. That's the whole point. That's the goal, up and to the right? Paul says, no, actually, this is Jesus doesn't do that. He does the opposite of that. This is the Jesus move. Intentionally and willfully takes the path of descent. Humbly and out of sacrificial love, Jesus relinquishes what's rightfully his in order to become a servant to creation and to humanity, to do what only he could do, to redeem and restore and recreate. Right? Up and to the right is the world that we live in. If you go into a board meeting or you're looking at sales figures or you're in your business and it's like up and to the right. That's what we're trying for. That's the goal. Everything's going up in that way. And Jesus actually does the total opposite of that. That's a really important thing for us to remember. Especially as like people who live in the greatest empire the world has ever known. That'd be America. Where up and to the right is the norm, it's what, it's what we're all shooting for, you know, uh, keeping up with the Joneses, you got to get the house and the picket fence and all the deal, the American, right. Jesus, his move, like what's central to his personhood is a path of descent, willingly, humbly, sacrificially giving of himself for the sake of his brother or sister. Um, in Jesus' time, Alexander the Great was about 300 years before Jesus. Did you know that Alexander the Great conquered the known world? Do you know how old he was when he died? 33. Do you know how old Jesus was when he died? 33. There's two great examples of power that are very different from one another. Alexander the Great and then the Julius, the Caesars of Rome, did the same thing, right? Right? It's power by domination, power by might, power by mi- military force, power by... And Jesus conquers the world by doing the exact opposite, Paul says. Do we believe that's true? Do we believe that's true? My wife and I, Laura, uh, have been in this peacemaking cohort. We were, we were um, 20 people in the UK and 20 people in the US. We're learning what it means to be peacemakers and recon- reconciling leaders And um, we're journeying together, and this journey ends in Ireland uh, in June, which I'm super excited about. But we've been learning from all these practitioners who are, like, living in conflict zones and and being peacemakers. And there's this one guy named Ben McBride who lives in Oakland, California. He lives in what's called the Kill Zone, which is like a neighborhood where there's just a lot of death. uh, and uh, he's a, a African American man who, who works like with the police department in Oakland and lives in this neighborhood and is working to be a peacemaker. And he, he was tell he was sharing this model, which I'm about to show you. And I found it to be fascinating because uh, I want to I want to show you this, and then I want I want to sort of apply what does it mean to apply the Jesus move in this setting. So. He would say this, that every human wants this. Every human desires this. Every human is uh, is entitled this as a human who bears the image of God, that we would belong. But then the world gets split up into categories, right? Quadrants, sections. And uh, if you imagine that in each one of these quadrants and sections, there are certain, um, well, let's call, what shall we say, Uh, statuses. Is that even a word? What's the plural of status? I don't know. But either way, you have the powerful. The powerful set the conditions of the world. The the powerful write the rules. The powerful make the rules. The powerful legislate the rules. They create the conditions in which we live, right? These are people who have power. On the right, top right, you have the privileged. The privileged are those who benefit from the status, keeping the status quo. If the powerful create the world that we live in, the privileged benefit from the world that we live in. Going down here to the bottom left, you have the prevented. The prevented are those who are denied access to the world that we live in. So whatever the powerful create, whatever rules they create that the privileged benefit from, the the, the prevented are those who are denied access to those things, those systems, those, those things that are working for some but not the prevented. Tracking? And then on the bottom right you have the persecuted, those who are directly opposed in the world. So if you just imagine this scenario as like a way in which to see oneself in the world, I want to ask a couple of questions about this. What does it mean to apply the Jesus move, which is the path of descent, based on where you find yourself on this graph? Now keep in mind, you may find yourself at different places on this graph based on different parts of yourself, right? We're not one-dimensional beings. you may, be, you may find yourself on the top half of that in one part of your life, but you may f- say, "I actually, I, I identify with the bottom half of that, or one of those in another part of my life. We're multidimensional people. Um, intersectionality is like the intersections of our, our persons, our, 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 our places in the world. And so I want to ask you some questions about this. Based on where you find yourself on these axes, Apply the Jesus move. What does it mean to follow Jesus, the the, res, the, the the crucified and then resurrected Christ, in the world? What are the different parts of your experience as a person that land you in different places on this graph? And for the places that you find yourself holding power or privilege, what does it mean to move towards a path of descent for those prevented or persecuted? If you find yourself in places of persecution or prevention, what does solidarity with Jesus mean? That Jesus became, Jesus descended on purpose, willfully, voluntarily. What does it mean that Jesus is in solidarity with you in that place? And what would it take to move towards belonging for you, wherever you find yourself? Like if everyone is moving towards belonging or wanting to move towards belonging, what does it mean for you? And as this man, Ben, presented this, I just found it to be very insightful and helpful to say, as a person who follows Jesus, whose move, whose, like, essence, whose, whose, like, everything Jesus was about was this path of descent, who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but gave it up. What's the Jesus move for you? And I can't answer that, and neither can your neighbor. Only you can. And I would just encourage you, if you take notes, write this down. Take a look at this and spend some time with it. What does it mean to follow Jesus for you if that's true? And I think that's a pretty accurate representation of our world in a lot of ways. So, that is the one thing that I wanted to offer you, one um, sort of drawing out. If this is uh, a passage that tells us who Jesus is and what Jesus is like and we find that Jesus doesn't consider equality with God something to be held on to grasp, like secured or, or fought for at all. No, rather lays it down humbly, sacrificially, and descends to be in solidarity with the prevented, the persecuted, the poor, the lowly, the oppressed. I just don't think that you can argue that that's not what Jesus does if you read the gospel. So, now, for the rest of our time, I want to explore something that we find in the second half of this passage. Which is, um, I would say it uh, in in this way, universalism or exclusivity. Here's what I want to do. I want to walk us through a spiritual formation exercise this morning. I'm going to close with this. And I'm not saying one or the other. I need all eyes right here. Okay? I'm not saying one or the other of these is true. I'm saying that in Scripture, there are two sides to the same coin. And you could call that universalism, or a universal of affect of Jesus' death and resurrection, or an exclusivity of Jesus' death and resurrection that's accessed by faith. Okay? These are two, two, two different ideas of the same coin. We're talking about Jesus' death and resurrection, and and truthfully, Scripture seems to intimate, seems to uh, uh, lead you towards both of them, depending on which scriptures you're reading. So, you know, Rob Bell got in a lot of trouble when he wrote a book called Love Wins um, because this is what he was exploring, and this is a stream that is totally present in the history of Christianity. So I'm not telling you one thing or the other, But I want to offer, I want to read some passages of Scripture, and I want to just let you sit in that tension and ask some probing questions that maybe will be reflective. So I'm just a mirror this morning, friends. I'd just like to hold up something for you so that you can see yourself in it and ask some good questions. All right? So here's what I'm going to do to close. I'm going to read five passages from Scripture, that seem to move us towards uh, the idea that Jesus' death and resurrection is effective for all. All humanity. And then I'm going to read five passages of Scripture that seem to lead us towards the idea that there is a a faith component that is necessary to uh, receive or participate in the the benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection. And then I'm going to ask some questions. Okay? So as I read these first five passages, I'm going to invite you, as I read all of them, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes, to get in a posture, to receive, to really listen. So maybe just for, uh, to start, let's take a couple of deep breaths. And really listen to these words that you're hearing, and pay attention to what's happening in your spirit. Pay attention to what's happening in your heart. Pay attention to what's happening in your body. As you, as you hear these. So, the first five will be moving us towards this universal idea that Christ's resurrection is effective for all of humanity, and the other five will be moving in the other direction. So, here we go. Romans chapter 5. Paul's talking about sin and Jesus, and he says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus, abounds for many. Romans 11, Paul writes, For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Paul writes to Timothy, God who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Jesus himself in John's gospel says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Paul writes to the Philippians, That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. One side of the coin. Five verses that seem to say something else. Romans chapter 2. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Matthew 25 When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. John 3, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Again, John 3, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Again, John 5. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Now a few self-reflective questions. If you want to keep this posture. What happens in you when I propose the idea that all of humanity is redeemed by the love of Christ? What happens in you? If you oppose that idea or something of an objection rises up in you, why? Why do you think that is? Would you dare to at least hope that this is true? And if you can't, why? what happens to free will if God's, God redeems all of humanity, even if some reject God's love? How has colonialism used passages like this in the world, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess? The second section of passages, what happens in you when I propose the idea that only those who place their faith in Christ are redeemed? What rises up in you? If you oppose that idea, or something of an objection rises up in you, why is that? Does this second group of passages appeal to your sense of justice? And if so, why does that matter so much to you? Maybe last, how has Christianity used passages like this in the world? That there are sheep and there are goats. last question what do you think God is like there may be no more important thing in your theology in your understanding of God than what you think God is like we become what we worship we are shaped by the image of God that we have what do you think God is like I think it's less important today that you find the answer to this question. Well, which of these passages are right and which of these are not? And more, what do you think God is like? And who taught you that? I'm going to offer a word of prayer and just a moment of silence for you to sit with some of these questions. So pray with me. God is, we take a moment to be still, to wonder. None of us know what will happen in the end. We have a book written a couple thousand years ago that tells us a lot, but also is somewhat confusing at times. So Holy Spirit, right now, I pray that you would lead. That you would guide. That you would uncover any inaccurate pictures or thoughts or imaginations we have of God. You would replace them with what is true and what we know about Jesus. The perfect icon, representation of who and what you are like. we close this morning, we want to invite you to the table um, where we would like to serve you Eucharist, the good gift Um, in just a moment I think the kids are going to come up and we're going to give them honey we offer them a blessing may the word of God be like honey on your lips after the kids are done we'll invite you down the side aisles and uh, there's hand sanitizer on these stations here and then you'll receive bread Take a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup. There's red wine, there's white grape juice, and you'll hear the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. and He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. So whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after dinner, he took a cup and blessed it. He said, this is my blood, which is shed for you. Whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. So be reminded that this is the table of the Lord, not of the church. It's made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God more. So come, you who have a lot of faith or a little bit of faith or maybe not much faith at all. You who have been here often or maybe not been here for a long time. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed. These these are the gifts of God for the people of God. So come, be known, be fed, be sent back out into the world as good gifts. I've ever felt like swarmed by the children but we had the honey you know like bees to the honey that was a, that was awesome <laughs> yeah I think Jesus said something about kids right and the gospel and so that's good um, <clears throat> Friends there's a lot of things I do not know about God and about the Bible and about like what happens in the end and how God will work it all out like level there's a lot of things I don't know there's a lot of things that a lot of pastors don't know (laughs) but a lot of times we fake it because we think we're supposed to know and we're supposed to tell you the right answer and I just think I'm just done with that I don't I can't really do that because I'd have to lie to you but I think that an exercise like this is really important. And so you may leave today with a few questions. And I'm like, ref- I'm like, holding all the all the things that I was ever taught about being a pastor, you know, at bay. And I'm not going to like give you the answer because I don't have it. Um, I do know what Jesus is like, and the move that Jesus makes, which is a path of descent, which is a path of humility and sacrifice for his neighbors and even his enemies and like jesus invites us to that and to love whatever whatever mistake we might make may we make it in love or at least our our best attempt to love and you know uh, trust that god will work the rest of it out Um, and i think if you're going to follow anybody jesus is a pretty good one to follow so let's do that together um, let's, let's make the Jesus move. Remember this move, friends. Remember this move. It's, it's, it's down. It's a path of descent. Uh, it's sacrifice and it's humble. Uh, and it's quiet. So, may you go in that spirit today to love and serve the world. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The church said together, Amen. Grace and peace, friends. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.